0: I'm going to introduce um, Vijay Prashad and um, as I said before he's the executive director of the TriContinental Institute for Social Research and um, he's the author of over 20 books including Washington Bullets um, and he's also an editor of Left Word Books and he speaks on so many different webinars and platforms offering us insightful analysis and I'd really urge people to follow him um, on so many different political questions facing the world today and so much useful in, in, in information and analysis. So over to you, Vijay. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Sam. Uh, Thanks a lot, Johanna, for a very important opening, setting the context from Havana of the suffocation that the United States government is attempting uh, against the Cuban people. Uh, Remember, the key word here is attempting. The United States government has attempted to suffocate Cuba for decades, hasn't succeeded, continues to attempt continues to attempt cruelly, but has not succeeded. I think it's important for people to understand that, that the resistance of the Cuban revolution is pretty secure against this cruelty uh, from 90 miles away uh, from from Florida and the United States. Today is the birthday of Simon Bolivar. Um, Important to start here, because the great liberator set in motion a process in South America and in Latin America in general against colonialism. Um, In 1822, we had the Great Battle of Carabobo where the Spaniards uh, really took it in the neck and had to flee from the Americas or at least partly flee from the Americas. Next year, friends and comrades, is the 200th anniversary of the Monroe Doctrine. Um, The year after Bolivar's Uh, revolutions had begun to succeed in Latin America, in the American hemisphere, actually. The year after that, the United States established the Monroe Doctrine, 200 years old next year. The Monroe Doctrine sets in motion the attitude of the United States government, not only um, towards the hemisphere, which is an entirely colonial mentality, but towards the planet. In many ways, this talk now of global NATO is very much the same kind of talk as the global Monroe Doctrine. Hundred years after the Monroe Doctrine had been put in place in 1923, between the administrations of Warren Harding and Calvin Coolidge, the United States was in occupation of Nicaragua, had occupied the Dominican Republic. U.S. troops were there in Cuba based on that hideous Platt uh, Amendment and so on. United States was in Mexico, fighting against the Mexican Revolution. By the way, Mexico, let's be honest here, friends, and remember that in 1848, the United States annexed through an illegal occupation a third of Mexico's uh, sovereign territory. That's the attitude of the Monroe Doctrine. As I said, now 200 years old next year, we will be commemorating that Monroe Doctrine next year with a lot of events uh, across the world. Because we don't want the United States to forget its colonial attitude towards the world and not pretend that it has some sort of human rights attitude. Hello, Joe Biden. Nice of you to visit the appalling monarchy of Saudi Arabia and stand next to Mohammed bin Salman and talk about human rights. Thanks, Biden. Um, We are not fooled around the world about this language of human rights. We know that their language of human rights is the rights of the colonizing forces to dominate the world. So, point number one, friends, Monroe Doctrine. Don't forget it. In eighteen, uh, in 1959, when the Cuban Revolution prevailed, in a sense, we had a new kind of doctrine in the hemisphere, and in fact, around the world. And this, you know, I don't want to call this the Castro Doctrine, Joanna, but we could call it the Cuban Revolution Doctrine what is that doctrine it's actually quite simple it's two principles one the right of a state um, and a nation and a people to exercise sovereignty over their territory that's an elementary right um, even in terms of liberal political science and political thought it's a right enshrined in the un charter 1945 um, you know 14 years before the cuban revolution but the second Important point that the Cuban Revolution doctrine establishes is the point about dignity. Every person matters. 11 million Cuban people matter. Every single one of them matters. The Cuban Revolution, therefore, puts on the table two concepts, sovereignty and dignity. And it's precisely this that the United States has been trying to suffocate. It cannot tolerate that most parts of the world want to establish our sovereignty against the suffocation of imperialism. Imperialism is a suffocating set of practices, set of ideas. They want to suffocate us. They want to take our sovereignty away from the heart of the anti-colonial movements that came to Bandung, for instance, in 1955. We have tried to put sovereignty back on the table. It's precisely what the Cuban revolution has placed not only for the island of Cuba, not only for the Caribbean, not only for Latin America, not only for the Americas, but for the world, put alongside what the Vietnamese did in their revolutionary process, what the Chinese did, what the people in the former Tsarist Empire did when they created the Soviet Union. They put the concept of sovereignty on the table alongside dignity. I think it's important that we establish that what this blockade is about is not to establish human rights, but to disallow people around the world from exercising their sovereignty and from exercising their dignity. These two concepts are central, in my opinion, to the Cuban revolution and to the counter-revolutionary blockade that the United States established against Cuba, trying to suffocate 11 million people. Here's the third point. Sorry, pals. Sorry, in Washington. Nobody seems to be really interested in your suffocation of the world any longer. Let's look at some evidence of that. You know, Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine was dying to have a meeting with the African Union. 55 countries, members of the African Union. Guess what, friends? Only two heads of government showed up to that meeting. Most people not interested in what the United States is selling. United States... Joe Biden shows up in Saudi Arabia, as I said, sitting next to Mohammed bin Salman, says, pump more oil. Mohammed bin Salman says, we're not interested, Joe. Not right now, okay? You can't even get your closest ally. What ally? Your closest, you know, satrap. You can't get your satrap to listen to you. Forget other countries in the world, even India, which, you know, my country... Um, has generally had, at least under this government, quite a close relationship with the United States. Even India says, look, we're not interested right now. Go and read the five points that Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, president of Mexico, placed before the Biden administration. You know, people in the United States should read this because it will teach them about the arrogance towards Mexico. People in Texas have been driving south of the border to fill up their gas in Mexico because price of gas is cheaper. Mexico is pumping more natural gas into uh, the United States. And Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who's been taking a very strong position against U.S. imperialism in recent times, Andres Manuel said to Biden, look, regularize the horrendous human rights abuses against the Mexican people. That's not what we're going to allow you to do. We're not going to allow you to create some sort of Bracero program. We want you to treat the Mexican diaspora with respect. You're going to have an an infrastructure investment plan in the U.S. You're going to need Mexican workers, but you have to treat people with respect. That's Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. People around the world, they are telling the United States, we're not interested anymore. Okay, We're not buying the garbage you've been selling for the last 60 years. You might be able to bomb us all. You might be able to suffocate us with your banks, but we're really not interested in the garbage that you've been plugging our ears with uh, for decades now. Look, friends, frankly, I mean, my opinion is that there's a lot of things happening in the world that we need to register. There's a great fragility of U.S. power. We have to register that. I'm not one of those people who believes that there's, you know, the United States is going to decline and collapse tomorrow. The United States has one of the most powerful military forces. It's a very dangerous country. It has a doctrine of nuclear primacy. Don't forget that. It's an extraordinary, dangerous, ruthless ruling class. Secondly, United States has control over international financial systems, okay? Still does, still exercises immense power through the Wall Street dollar complex, using also the International Monetary Fund. Extraordinary powerful grip on international financial transactions. Yes, it's true. China, Russia, others are trying to build alternatives. It's going to take a long time to build a genuine alternative. That's the reason why it's so important to be part of this campaign. Because despite the fragility of the United States, despite the fact that people are just saying, look, we're not buying the rotten goods you're selling, despite all that, they have a grip on the international financial institutions. Therefore, we have to build a phalanx. We have to build trenches to fight against US domination of the banking system. That's the reason why this campaign is so important. That's the reason this slogan is so important, my friends. Tell the banks, unblock Cuba. What's the slogan? Tell the banks, unblock Cuba. It's as simple as that. Tell the banks, unblock Cuba. This is common sense. Let's make this common sense into a mass movement. Tell the banks, unblock Cuba. Thanks a lot.